You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates. You're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we're happy you could join us as we dive into the latest news to try and figure out where there are opportunities in our marketplace. And today we got a great lineup of content. We're going to start off talking about whether it's better to rent or buy a condo in most Toronto neighborhoods. This comes out of a few big articles today discussing where where you're better to buy and where you're better to rent. And I crunched some numbers myself and I want to share my two cents on that. Then we're going to get into this idea of short-term rentals. There's some big news has come out on that. What should I know as it relates to the mandatory registration that is now set to come to Toronto very, very soon? And I want to ask the question before we wrap up, are laneway houses the next biggest opportunity in our city. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you hit us a subscribe, a like, a comment, whatever suits your fancy. We are now over a thousand subscribers a few days ago. I forgot to mention, we're growing at over a hundred subscribers per month and that's just on YouTube. We're probably close to the same on iTunes and Spotify combined with over 15,000 downloads consistently each month. You guys rock and we're having a ton of fun. So as it relates to Airbnb, I love this joke, this idea, because we have seen hotels get absolutely clobbered by places like Airbnb. I don't know about you, but I would choose an Airbnb over a hotel, which I'm sure is really hurting that industry. But what do skinny jeans and cheap hotels have in common? <laughs> no ballroom. <laughs> But we're having lots of fun, and I thank you guys for making this show possible, and, and I'm having a good time. So even if nobody listens, at least I can listen to it to myself, maybe, if there's nobody. Imagine how sad that would be. It's like all of a sudden, there's like a, everyone's just protesting, refusing to listen. It's like, oh, it'd be like uh, canceling basketball for a day. <laughs> that could turn into something bigger. That might be a little early in that joke. All right, moving on. So we're going to talk about this idea of renting versus buying a condo in most Toronto neighborhoods, okay? And there's a few articles on this. This is the big one. This is the, the header. It's from BlogTO. It says this, it's better to rent than buy a condo in most Toronto neighborhoods right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm a realtor, right? <laughs> I'm a broker. And so my thinking is, okay, prove it. Prove it. You're going to make a claim like that. Let me see what you got to say about it. So here's what they say. So this is the article. Thinking of making the jump from condo renter to condo owner, from person who lives at home to person with their own place, from 905er to proper Toronto residents, it's either a great or a terrible idea right now, depending on who you ask. And the people most likely to share their opinions are often the least informed. Yeah, and that's me, right? I have no idea what's going on here. So so you're going to hear from another least informed person. Experts in GTA real estate trends say it's more about where in the city you want to live at any specific point in time than when you choose to purchase or sign a lease. And I think that that's not a bad way to look at it. I like that, right? Pick the right area. The main thing here is, are you buying it as an investment? Are you buying it as a home? The way I read this article is you're buying this as a home, a place for you to live, not as an investment property. If you want an investment, the big experts, they really say you're looking for cash flow. We want to make sure we have some consistency, but that's not what we're saying here. We're saying, where are you going to put your house? Where are you going to dwell? 
A new report from the brokerage and analysis firm Zucasa breaks down the price to rent ratio. They call it the PTRR. Sounds so official. For 35 neighborhoods across Toronto. This is where it's all coming from, guys. And it's also coming from Treb data for the second quarter of 2020. The analysis attempts to, quote, highlight neighborhoods where it may be better to rent a condo apartment and where we may be better to buy. And this is what they say. Our findings reveal that across the city of Toronto, the average condo apartment purchase price for Q2 2020 was equal to about two decades worth of rent. That's kind of how they've summarized it. And when we look at the stats, they take an average condo price in the city of 661 and a half thousand and a monthly rent of just over 2,500 bucks. So the price to rent ratio, they say in Toronto was 22, 22, saying it takes you 22 years worth of today's average rent rate in order to purchase that condo. That's kind of how they say it. You know what, guys? This ratio completely throws me off and I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know how many hoops I had to jump in order to get these ratios. They say, apparently, the ratio between 1 and 15 suggests that buying offers the best value. That's how they've said it. So they've got these little cute little charts. Kind of kind of nice. It's kind of nice. It says from 1 to 15 years, if it's green, that means you can pay it off equal to the rent price in 1 to 15 years. And therefore, that's a good buy. 16 to 20 years, yeah, that's pretty good. But anything over 21 years of paying, that's not worth your money. That's the way they say it. And here's the thing. City of Toronto on average is 22. So the average, therefore, according to this analysis, is not worth buying your better to rent. They say this, of the 35 neighborhoods, including the analysis, 22 had a PTRR of at least 21 years, indicating the overall renting a condo apartment may currently offer more value than purchasing one in the majority of Toronto neighborhoods, reads the report. And then they go on to talk about the areas where they're good. If you want to look at, okay, so if, if you really want to hold this as a, as a gold standard here, the five neighborhoods with the lowest price to rent ratio are these. East York, Danforth Village, they're number one. West Hill, Centennial, Scarborough. We got Malvern Rouge. We got Black Creek, York University Heights, Rexdale, Kipling, West Humber, Clareville. These are the areas. And the ones with the worst, don't touch them. They're bad. Ha! Don't touch it. Ouch. Rosedale, Moore Park, York Mills, Bridal Path, Hogs Hollow, Leslieville, Riverside, Little India, Yorkville Annex, Summerhill, Regent Park, St. James Town, Corktown. Don't go there. Do not go there. Bad news bears, right? So most of the units, apparently, according to this report, are not worth buying, specifically in the downtown core. If you really map it out, it's really the downtown area. So what they're saying is, is you know what? If you want to own a house, you got to have a low walk score and you need to use transit, you need more transit. So you'll be, you'll be called down to reception and say, hey, can you call me a taxi? Sure, Mr. Taxi. Is there anything else? <laughs> but let's do the math. Okay, let's let's do the math. If we're gonna if we're gonna make this claim, this is a wild claim, guys. This is a wild claim. And I'm a realtor, so I'm biased, so you know me. Bye, bye, bye. Give me the commission. Pay me. <laughs> Even if you don't use me, listen to these numbers, guys. I want to map it out for you. Tell you how I look at this as an investor. Maybe it's just a change of thought. I don't know. But if I've got the money, let's say I've got money, got 200K in my bank account, which I know is not everybody, but let's say that's the case. This article would convince me if I just read it that it's not worth purchasing a property. I'm better to hold the money, just leave it in my bank account, right? Let, uh, let inflation do its thing. Right, but that's let's listen to the actual number. So I'm going to take the same figures they've got. We got an average condo price of six hundred and sixty-one and a half thousand. We got a rental monthly rent average of twenty-five hundred bucks. 
which gives them in their case 22. So let's do that. So let's look at the down payment. Like we're gonna put 20% down because let's say we got 200 grand. We're gonna put 20% down. We're gonna have a closing cost. It's gonna come anywhere from 150 to 180. That's what our upfront cost is for this. Now, obviously, there's other options, but you're gonna see the margins are so big. You can put less money down, and it still would come out. And I'm gonna take a normal mortgage, not a not an ex, not, we've seen mortgages in the in the ones, right? Fixed mortgages in the ones. But let's say I'm just gonna take a basic average bank rate of 2.1% for 25 year amortization. Guys, don't get worked up too much of the numbers. I just wanted to run them for my own sanity as well. And so your your annual cost, if you pay bi-weekly, is about 1050 bucks. Annually, it's just over 27. Add your taxes on top, property taxes, call it 3,500. If it was appraised at 600,000, the assessed values, let's say, which I think is high, but okay. Insurance, about 1800 per year. Our buying total would be $32,000 a year. If you bought that home, after you've put your money into it, your monthly cost over the year is gonna be $32,000. Well, if I rented, it would be $2,500 a month, which is $30,000. So in that account, yes. You know what? Yes, I am better to rent. Because first of all, I had to put my money into the pot, which I could have just kept and you know, gone to McDonald's or something with it. But I've actually saved myself just under $2,500 by renting. Well, that in my mind, as an investor, forget as a realtor, as an investor, if I'm going to buy a property, I'm going to rent a property that is short sighted because of one little factor. The reason that many people are able to get hundreds of percent return on investment properties can be applied to your own primary residence. And that is that you have a principal pay down. How are we ignoring the principal pay down monthly? So on a monthly perspective over the year, yes, you're going to be out an extra 2,500 bucks. Okay. I'll give you that. So at the end of the year, you're out an extra 2,500 bucks, but you have paid down your principal in this exact example, over 16 grand in one year, 16 grand. So if your real total, the real amount of money is actually closer to half the cost of renting. So, and this is still in Toronto, which is of course, absurdly high prices. So just imagine if you go outside the city, what those numbers would look like. So you cannot convince me when we have a real buying total of just over 16 grand next to a renting total of over $30,000, that renting is still a better scenario for my primary residence. Forget the fact that you can get creative with taxes. You can borrow money against that property and use the, the interest payments on your line of credit, for example, towards investing and use that as write-offs for your income and all these other amazing benefits to home ownership that you only get with ownership. Yes, you need that money up front, right? There, there, there's a, a default standard. So if you don't have the money and you just, or you just wanna learn about an area, go ahead and rent first. But don't try and convince me if I have the money to buy something that it's not worth doing because I know better. And prove me otherwise. Prove me otherwise. I know there's a ton of people that are into renting and that's cool. But you know what? I make a commission, so I'm biased. <laughs> when you're telling me that it's about half the cost to buy versus rent, I think it's a no-brainer, but I don't got a brain anyways. So we're going to move on to our next topic as we kind of round. I'm going to calm down a little bit. Calm down. Calm down. Have a little drink of coffee here. Oh, my coffee's gone. No wonder I'm so wired. <laughs> All right. I just want to give you guys an update before we move on to the Airbnb thing, the short-term rental thing. Now there is a bank's provision for losses. We were mapping this out the other day and we've gotten more insight from further banks. Thank you, Sleepy in Toronto shared one from Scotiabank. And I've gone and looked at a few banks. I've seen national banks. So the question here is how big is the crisis with the deferral cliff? And my answer is, I don't know. And what's funny is as I'm looking at the banks that are now releasing their data a day or two after I said, I don't know, they also don't seem to know because listen to this. 
National Bank, right? National Bank, their losses for the for this quarter are, are 143 million, which is down from 504 million. That's a big drop. That's a big drop. But then I look at Scotia, and they're at 2.18 billion, whereas last quarter they're at 1.85. So theirs went up. Theirs went up. Right, so we got one that's dropped like a ton, like a like a bunch, a bag of bricks, and one that's gone up, one that's gone up, and then we look at RBC. What is RBC doing? The bank they have six hundred and seventy-five million for sour loans. It was well below the one point three billion they were expecting, and less than a quarter of what was in the prior three months. So a quarter of what they had, which is which is closer in line with what I think it is. I think it's more than half are gone. But when we hear CMHC saying not 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 really. I mean, I don't know who to believe. And then I look at CIBC, who was released this morning, literally within a couple hours of me putting this podcast together, and it says this. Their profits soared 67%, and they set aside $520 million in the last latest quarter, compared, which is almost 63% from the previous quarter down in these loss provisions, which were $1.41 billion. So they brought theirs down 63%, again, agreeing with what I think is the case. But it goes to show you the bank's Though stable, the banks are very strong and stable, thanks to CERB. They're in a very good position, but they seem to also be confused on this loss prevention. I think over time, you're going to start to see them come down. Maybe Scotiabank is a phenomenon, like a phenomenon? Is that how you say that? They're, maybe they're an exception to the rule, but it's very interesting. And even talking to Dave Butler the other day, also confusion among brokers. We got confusion among the un- the the um, different unions. <sighs> not unions, I'm killing myself here. Among the different types of lenders, depending on where you go and who you ask, whether it's the insurers, whether you ask these different uh, mono lenders or every uh, mono line lenders, any of these guys, they don't really seem to have a straight answer. So it's ultimately up to us. And I tend to think it's a non-issue. And I love the point, if I were to highlight this one that Baseline gave, it's, it's a great point. He said this, mortgage deferrals, anyone now who have issues with their mortgage should be smart enough to be selling over the last couple months. Majority have just taken advantage of the deferral, I bet. That's a good point. If you are underwater right now and you haven't taken the time to sell, let alone the extra three months you're going to get before you end up in power of sale then you screwed the pooch, right? You messed yourself up. You could have made a move if you wanted to. And banks don't want to lose money if people can't pay up with these deferral tunes. But I, I honestly believe that people are, many people, as Baseline said, are using it as a free ride. So when the sign in your Airbnb says not responsible for stolen items, some people will take the opportunity to steal some stuff. <laughs> But I love it. It's an amazing point. A very good point. Thank you. So I'm going to share a couple other questions that I got here before we move on. The truth, the question here he's asking is how will people who maybe bought condos that are going to close to three or four years from taking possession, new builds, how will those guys work? Honestly, if we're looking three to four years out, I am very confident in our market. I don't think I'm too worried about that. I guess it depends on your view. I've talked to many people who believe we're going to have larger issues. And as I talk to people in the States, it sounds like they are far more concerned than we are. In the short term, here in Toronto, I do think if you have that stuff closing next year, right now I'm seeing there's a bit of a panic that's brewing specifically in the condo space, but it's mostly in resale, not as much in the pre-construction. You might be able to get a good assignment deal, but if I if you bought a condo last year, if you think about it, you're technically up, right? You're technically up because condo prices have gone up year over year. Yes, they've come down from their March highs. So you would have really needed to buy something in March and be closing at the end of this year, which is not a very big chunk of people, if anybody. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, Zachary Jin, very insightful market update. You can tell I did research on this one. Cool, thanks, man. Do you have any predictions for 2021? 
Here's my predictions for 2021. Just a little bit of a highlight. Obviously, we're it's still kind of early to call the shots, but that's okay. I'm comfortable putting my neck on the line. <laughs> 2021, I think, is going to be a very hot year. And I think it's going to start in March. That's my perspective. I believe by March, things will start to take off. Now, condos, on the other hand, they might take a little bit longer, late summer, fall, to shine. And a lot of the shining is going to happen. The shining. <laughs> the shining. In the... I think that's a movie. I think. If not, I just sound like a complete moron. <laughs> But I think that that's going to happen because they're going to be in line with where this year we saw the prices coming down. And so in that analysis, it's going to appear as though condos are doing quite well and have caught up to what was already shining in the low rise side. Where there's risks, I see there being risks in the second wave, which of course we're seeing rising cases right now. And I also see a risk in maybe a rental market spillover. I'm interested to see how many evictions we get and what kind of steps the government takes to make sure it's not a long-term problem. But maybe your long-term rental isn't working out for you and you're considering right now an Airbnb and you're like, you know what, this will be easy. You know what? I can't get a long-term tenant, but the Airbnb thing, that sounds really simple. People are trying to do local stays in the country. I'm just going to like be really creative. Be so creative. It'll it'll be all over BlogTO. I'm just going to make like a role-playing themed Airbnb. We're going to call it the Air d and <laughs> Okay, wait, no. That, that's a bad idea. I'll do one better. I'm opening a short-term rental made for people with no other options. And I'm going to call it the last resort. <laughs> Look at me, mom. I'm a businessman. <laughs> Not so fast. Not so fast. Wait, you need to know the laws. And there are laws as it relates to short-term rentals in our marketplace. I hope you're ready to learn a little bit about how short-term rentals will work and what is coming in the next few months. All levels of government must allow Airbnbs in order for it to be legal, right? Because if at any level it's not legal, then it's not legal. So right now, hopefully that makes sense, Right now, as it stands, your condo board, that is a level of government that you've bought into as a condo owner. So they're actually a level of government. So we have seen the province say you're allowed Airbnb. We have seen some condos say you're allowed Airbnb. So those levels of government have agreed. The city, on the other hand, has been a little bit slower to pull the trigger. And where they have, I think people will be surprised on that whether you're even allowed to have short-term rentals. Because I think now that we're seeing you're allowed short-term rentals, there's a misnomer on where you're allowed to have short-term rentals. I think a lot of people, when they picture short-term rentals, is not actually what you're allowed to do for short-term rentals. Well, the news just came out that there is now a new online registration system that will launch next month, and the enrollment will be mandatory for short-term rental operators who are renting their homes on a short-term basis, which consists of less than 28 consecutive days, starting September 10th. According to the city, registration is, quote, a necessary first step in allowing the municipality to effectively administer a series of new rules applicable to short-term rentals. Anyone who currently rents their home on a short-term basis or plans to do so must register by December 31st. After this date, new operators will be able to register on an ongoing basis, but must register prior to renting out their homes, their short-term rental homes. So they're trying to get everyone caught up. And by January 1st, everybody should be on the same page. I'm not going to go through all the history of this, but this has gone through a local planning tribunal. We've had a lot of issues with trying to get this thing passed. It was appealed and ultimately ended up coming through on November 18th, 2019. But obviously COVID took took all of the attention away and people kind of lost track of what was going on in short-term rentals. And a lot of these condos said, yeah, you're either allowed or you're not allowed. 
This is what they say. It has been a long and hard-fought battle to implement reasonable or responsible SRT or STR short-term rental regulations going back to 2017. From LPAT's hearing to COVID, they were not implemented as quickly as we wished. I'm happy to see them now moving forward. And that comes from a Toronto City Councillor. So here's the rules. Let's bring everyone up to speed on the rules for short-term rental. Listen to this and tell me if the short-term rental that you have in your mind right now fits this description. And I'll bet you it doesn't. City bylaws permit short-term rentals across Toronto in all housing types in residential and residential components of mixed-use zones. People can short-term rent their principal residence only. Let me repeat that. People can short-term rent their principal residence only. This is the residence where they live and where the address is used for bills, identification, taxes, or insurance. That's it. That's it. I'll bet you that didn't fit the description you were thinking about that neighbor next door that's renting their condo, right? Even though the condo allows it. Probably not the case. That's probably not what they're using for. But one of the other things that are worth mentioning here if I were to highlight is people can now short-term rent their homes in Toronto only if they are a registered operator. And that's what's key here. The valid city-issued registration number must be included in all advertisement and listings. And that is your final level of government that would allow you to have a short-term rental unit. We're also allowed to have secondary suites, for example, like even a basement apartment or a laneway suite, which we'll get to in a second, as long as the suite is your primary residence. Primary residence. Did you catch that? Primary residence. That's not what people are doing. That's not what people are doing. They're going to do it anyways. But now with the ruling in place, guess what? There's going to be more crackdown because starting January 1st, registered short-term rental operators will need to start collecting and remitting 4% municipal accommodation tax, the MAT tax, MAT tax on a quarterly basis. More information on how to collect and make the MAT payments will be provided this fall. So why do they want to do it? Is it because they want to protect the short-term rental market and protect the hotel industry? No. They want your money. Don't be silly, son. They want your money. The city will also require short-term rental companies to obtain a license from the municipality in order to continue operating. So Airbnb's got to get a license. Expedia's got to get a license. Bookies.com got a license. Any others I missed? So there you have it. The new regulations should also have a positive impact on the long-term rental market. I love this paragraph. I love it. Nobody reads the last paragraph. Who reads the last paragraph? We do. Listen to this. I'm going to read it again. Here we go. The new regulation should also have a positive impact on the long-term rental market as they are meant to help expand the availability of long-term rental properties by scaling back the number of short-term rental properties advertised. Do you read between the lines here? That tells me this is bad news for short-term rentals because they're going to be going on the long-term rental market. And why is that? Because they're going to be cracking down on you because now they have the ability to do that. Good luck. See you later, short-term rental market. Holy smokes. Maybe you shouldn't start that last resort after all. And if we can't get cheap enough rental units, will people come to Canada at all? Because you don't even have a place to stay. You know, I hear Iraq is nice this time of year. Emily, time to get back home to safety. Yeah, but don't forget your bag, Dad. <laughs> Moving on. So laneway housing. I mentioned laneway housing as a potential Airbnb option. I really like this as a, as an idea for those of you who have a little bit extra money to spend and are thinking, you know what, maybe this is an opportunity. I would agree this is an opportunity to fit that missing middle. It's in line with what the city is planning. And we just saw, according to torontostories.com, a Vancouver laneway house sells for nearly $2 million. Is Toronto next? That's what they say. I love it. Ooh. Right? 
So here's what they say. Taking a cue from Vancouver, Toronto finally began to allow laneway housing in 2018 and revamped bylaws, a move many called overdue given the city's 300 kilometers of laneway real estate. Comparable to a guest house, here's to describe it for those of you who don't know, a laneway suite is a small standalone dwelling that sits at the rear of a residential lot and fronts onto a laneway. Also called a granny suite, a nanny suite, or a coach house. A lot of people call them coach houses. The idea behind the concept is to relieve pressure on the housing market, provide more attainable housing, and to supplement mortgage payments on the main property. So you can rent them out. Laneway houses open up access to more affordable single-family houses, which is why the cities love them, and these homes to the best schools and no shortage of green space. So you're able to get on a lower lot, you get a little bit more space, you, got more, you can put that office in there, right? You can, it's a home. It's an actual home in a desirable neighborhood because a lot of these are in established areas that you wouldn't otherwise be able to build. Now, judging from a recent real estate sale in Vancouver, a city that's actively embracing laneway housing in the past decade, they're way ahead of us, laneway homes may quickly be becoming hot, increasingly out of reach pieces of real estate. A laneway house in Kitsilano, I guess that's an area in Vancouver, just sold for 1.85 million, the price of a mansion in many parts of Canada. So they're saying that it was located at 1959 West 15 Avenue. It's a 1,555 square feet. That's a lot of fives in that. Two level laneway house featuring three bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms. There you go. Nice small price tag of just under 2 million bucks. Despite the opportunity to build thousands of units in laneways, the concept is sub subsequently still a new one in Toronto. Not many people have grabbed onto this, which is why I think there's still a window here. Currently, laneway properties are incredibly scarce and pricey. While laneway homes are not allowed, are now allowed, sorry, restrictions and regulations still make the approval process a trying one for many. In January 2020, Toronto issued, just to give a perspective, 52 building permits for the construction of laneway suites with another 50 building permits under review. So there's about 100. In the last, since in January, so over the last over the last year. The thing here is we need to recognize the plan for the city. This is really, it's a, it's got some forethought here. We're, we're, we're adding many layers of, those of you who follow our podcast, we're putting several layers of ideas here, guys. We know the city wants to open up the quote yellow belt, these middle areas. They want more housing. We need more housing. And if we don't get it, prices go up anyways. So it's a win-win. We need more housing, and these platforms allow us to address this, quote, missing middle that even the Toronto Real Estate Board is advocating for. And we also see that the red tape is coming down very quickly in the province and very quickly in the city as we try and play catch up. And there is a total need for affordable housing that has been actually gone the other direction under the Trudeau government, where we need to play serious catch up. All of these things, despite laneway housing being more expensive, in my mind, creates an amazing opportunity if you have the money. But they're not cheap. They're not cheap. In June, a 22 by 55 foot lot in the Bathurst and College neighborhood, just to put it into perspective, was listed at 1.25. And it's actually still for sale. So you guys can go over and buy it and say, tell them Bradley sent you. <laughs> 157 Lippincott Street. It's a newly formed parcel of land with the intention of building a freehold, completely independent laneway home. So they've already separated it. And the laneway home will cost anywhere from 500 to a million. So that's what an extra piece of land is worth. But you know, if I can then sell this thing for just under 2 million, there might still be room in there. And this, we're just getting started. This is a whole new concept for Toronto. And it's one that I think will continue to get pushed. So maybe we grab on early. Be smart, guys. Be smart. Let's use our money wisely here. So essentially, essentially you're looking to close one of these deals, the whole package, the front and the back, the laneway homes are about 2 million bucks for the whole thing. So maybe you could build a house. You rent it out. Hey, Mario, I just made them a place to rent on a line. 
It's sweet. <laughs> I don't think it's racist. That was a sweet joke. Uh, you know, Airbnb, we're kind of... Anyways, moving on. Before I wrap up here, the U.S. Fed just has a kind of a highlight here because today is a big day. It's a big day in Canada. It's a big day in the history books. Probably won't be rec- recorded because we only record things. And the things we don't like, we delete from our history books anyways. But we are addressing, we're changing the way Canada does monetary policy, potentially. And the government is asking for your feedback. Well, the U.S. Fed today announced that they're going to be targeting a 2% inflation in defense of jobs. Employment seems to be the main thing. And this information is going to roll out. I would encourage you to go back a couple days ago to our podcast. We talked a little bit about this. Now, I am not an economist, but I find it very interesting because this is going to set the pace for monetary policy. It's going to determine what interest rates look like in the coming years and just how we do economics in Canada. But anyways, I'm going to leave it there. I mean, as I sit here at my home, I love I love connecting with you guys, but I just feel like I need to go somewhere. It's really difficult with young kids, right? Like I find it I find it challenging. I see a lot of my friends that kind of travel local and I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that. I got to find something local. But, you know, I'm starting to get worried about an Airbnb I booked. I, I have my reservations. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there, guys. Make sure you hit that like, hit the subscribe. We have the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And I love hearing from you guys every chance you get. I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.